Welcome to Catch the Fire Toronto's weekly sermon podcast. This message was recorded live at Catch the Fire Church in Toronto, Canada. We hope you enjoy it. One of the installments, one of the podcasts is called Charles Simeon was a dandy. What is a dandy? Charles Simeon was a dandy. And basically, Charles Simeon uh, was a young man in the uh, 1700s. And he decided he needed more education. So in uh, the late 1770s, he went to Oxford University, or excuse me, Cambridge. And Cambridge was one of those places that was accredited as a Christian university. The king had put his stamp of approval on it. The pope put his stamp of approval on it at various times. But when, when Charles Simeon went there, it was a horrible place. And uh, Christian culture in England was... Uh, upside down. It wasn't what we what we think it, it was in that time. And uh, for for instance, in Cambridge, it was it was pretty normal for there to be riots and uh, hundreds of people to be killed. Uh, people's doors would be broken into in their houses, and sometimes people would be dragged out and killed outside. Uh, the theology professors were characteristically drunk in class, and. Maybe even worse than that was that they didn't know anything about theology or Bible because they, they basically had gotten the job because they knew somebody in power. And uh, Charles Simeon uh, recorded, and you can do some research on this because it's, it's right out there in the internet, but uh, you know, he had trouble sometimes writing sermons because people were having sex in public right outside his window. Imagine that. It's a little hard to concentrate. Uh, you know, difficult. But, uh, but even in church, it was horrible because he would uh, try to preach, and at first, people would heckle him. Please don't heckle me. Okay, that would be horrific. And they would throw stones through the windows at him. And it got worse because, uh, because in those days, you could buy your pew, and you could lock your pew. And at one point, two-thirds of the church locked their pews so nobody could use them and they weren't coming themselves uh, because Charles Simeon was too serious about his Christianity. And it got to the worst point in which the elders of the church closed the church. They locked Charles Simeon out. This is Trinity Church, Trinity College, Trinity Church in Cambridge. Why was this? Because he was trying to uh, add an evening service for students. And that's how bad it was. So if it was me, I would have gone home and just cried. Okay, that would have been it. Mm, they, they locked me out of the church. And look at this. I got a stone right here. You know, that's what I would have done. But Charles Simeon would not be put off. So what he did was he decided, I'm going to meet in a home. So he met and some other people with him met in a home. And this, uh, this, uh, this home church movement spread and spread and spread and spread to the point where uh, Trinity Church changed its opinion of him. And, and it spread all across England, changing the culture of England and actually spread to the four corners of the world. All because when he was backed up against, uh, you know, with nowhere to go, this is what he chose out of small groups. Um, so what I want to talk today about is about small groups, or we call them connect groups. And, um, I, you know, there was a title for this that I was given, and I, I suddenly started changing it this morning. Uh, so the title is Connection with Friends, 
why small group can change your life. Connection with friends, why small group can change your life. So let me just give you a definition of small group. Small group is not a large group. That, that makes sense, doesn't it? It's not much of a definition. Uh, generally, what we say is a small group is 12 to 15 people or less. And that makes sense because, uh, I mean, if you think about it, um, just even communication-wise, uh, it's a well-known fact that the larger your group is, the harder it is to have people focus and to have uh, side conversations not start. And the, and the optimal number is somewhere around 12. We're just going to stick with that number 12 for now. Uh, you know, Jacob's family, 12 sons. Even the smallest uh, uh, organization in the military is a squad. And depending on which military you're in, it's from 7 to, say, 14, something like that. So 12 is kind of the number, 12 or less, is kind of the number for, uh, for the size of a small group. But when I was thinking about this, this doesn't always happen to me, but I, this thought came from left field. I think God plays out there in left field, I'm not sure, but this thought came from left field, and, and it just came like this. A small group... And this is a different kind of definition. This is a, a social definition, a relational definition. A small group is an interlocking web or system of relationships that is, or are, depending on if you're good at English, mutually encouraging and reinforcing in faith. So I'll say it again. A small group is an interlocking web of relationships that is mutually encouraging and reinforcing in faith. And so in, our, in church culture, you'll hear all kinds of words being used. Uh, small group, uh, home group, cell group. Uh, we use the term connect group for a particular reason. Uh, if there's no overarching organization, it's going to be called a house church. But whatever it is, it has this kind of, it, its chief feature is the size and the, and the relational uh, 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 quotient that's going on in that thing. As a biblical precedent, let me just quote from Acts. So Jesus has died. He's been raised again. The Holy Spirit has come. And now what does that look like? What, what, is, what is this church that is now arising out of Judaism, what, what does that look like? Well, here's what, what Luke says in Acts 2, 46 and 47. He says, every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Well, they could do that because there was a temple, and they did that. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Now, a few verses earlier, uh, there's, a, there's a kind of different kind of summary, but Luke says, it, says this, that the church continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship in the breaking of bread and to prayer. And this word fellowship, you've heard, many of you have heard this word before, it's koinonia, and it has to do with participation in something, it has to do with sharing. There's a connection that's there, but it's a connection that involves uh, a, a degree of involvement with us. We're, we're not just connected by a rope, but we're connected deeply, koinonia. All right, let me unpack this a little bit. Uh, a small group allows a number of dynamics to take place. And number one is 
It allows us to be known. Ouch. It allows us to be known. It's very hard in a small group to just kind of drift in and drift out. You, you, you can't just come and leave and nobody talk to you. It doesn't work like that. And in fact, small group works against hiddenness. Okay, I want to say that again. It works against hiddenness. And hiddenness is one of the, the chief ways that we deal with sin. Even if it's not like I've just done something. Just sin in general. Living in a world where sin is prevalent. Living with the things that, that we've done, haven't done, how we feel about ourselves. Uh, shame. Uh, hiddenness is one of the major ways that we deal with this. It's, it's so deeply ingrained in us that we don't even see it often. But if you go all the way back to Genesis 3, which you know I'm going to talk about that. In Genesis 3... The first man and the woman, they, they, they disobey God. And they experience the, the first impact of sin that they have never known. What is it that they do? The first thing is they're afraid. And the second thing is they hide. And we all do it. We're very good at it. We don't say what we're thinking. We, 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 we don't speak up. We put on a persona. Can be a big persona. Or it can be a little persona. It can be a rebellious persona. But we do something. Because we don't really want people to see us. Actually, we're in a bit of a paradox. Because in one way, we don't want people to see us. But on the other hand, we're desperate for it. Because we're made to be known. And it takes a lot of energy to, to not be known. to keep all the things that we think and are hiding on the inside of us. But in Connect Group, what happens is we're invited to come close. We're asked questions about ourselves, about our life, what we think, about how we relate to Jesus, our practices, our spiritual state. We're asked all kinds of things, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. And it's in that atmosphere that, that, that other people share their life and we're, there's a kind of pull, there's a kind of tide that, that pulls us to trust and to open our own lives. And that's a good thing, actually. Uh, in the school, uh, one, of, one of my roles used to be that I would have the small group leaders, they have their own small group, uh, but I would take them once a week, the boys, and we would have a small group, and I'd usually ask some sort of question of them. And we'd unpack uh, our lives or other things. Uh, but that's not my role anymore, and I feel that lack. So uh, what I've done is uh, scheduled in once a week. We have lunch together, the whole team. And usually there is, ironically enough, somewhere around 12 of us. And again, it's kind of my, my mode. I sort of ask a question. Well, one day, Brianna Upshaw, who's part of our team, uh, I think she got there before me, and there's this little box, and it's a game. And I think the game is called Table Talk, and the idea is that you, you have one of these cards, and it has a question on it. Anybody had done Table Talk before? Nobody. Okay, well, you should try this. So it has, it has a couple questions on it, and it has a place to write a name. 
So the idea is if you're having a party with a bunch of people and you're going to sit down to dinner, you write a person's name on it and that's their place setting. And then uh, during the meal, that person, in order to keep the conversation going, picks up their card and asks the person next to them a question. Sounds good, doesn't it? You know it's a trick question. Um, But here's the thing. The first cards that came out, I was sitting at the table by this point, I was, I was mortified. The questions were so deep. First of all, I couldn't imagine doing this at a dinner party, but the questions were so deep that I had to say, pass, pass. I had to do it twice. Here, here's like, what are you prone to be addicted to? Uh, methamphetamines? Uh, no. Um, how has your family damaged you? Uh, 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 yeah. The question, I went through the questions this morning. Most of them are actually, because I have a copy of them now, but the questions are not all that deep. But uh, can you imagine sitting beside a person you've never met before? So how has your family damaged you? (laughs) Who are you? Get away. Um, But whether you're asking, whether there's probing questions or not, the point is that in Connect Group, uh, in, in th- this relationship starts to, to form and it allows us to begin to enter into, uh, you know, step by step into, uh, into steps of, of becoming known. And this is a really good thing. We, we need this in our lives. We need to be known. Uh, number two, the second dynamic is that allows us to be encouraged. So you, you probably know some of these scriptures, but Hebrews 3 12 and 13, uh, the writer says, See to it, brothers and sisters, none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage each other daily, as long as it is today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And then he says later in chapter 10, he says, Let's consider how we may spur one another on to love and good works. You know, it takes, it takes each other to make us our best version of ourselves. And not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. It tells us something about what's supposed to happen in the middle of this web of connection. That through relationship, we're supposed to encourage one another. Supposed to to, um, give courage, to light courage in each other. You know, a lot of us, uh, we have friends and family who are not believers, and that's really good, actually. We should. And, and in fact, we should have, at least with some of them, re- really deep, significant, vital relationships. That, that's the way it should work, because we need, we need each other. But one thing those people can't do is encourage you in your faith. I might be overstating this a little bit, but just go with it. They, they can't encourage you in that aspect of your life. Why? Because they, they don't have the frame of reference. They, they, they don't understand what Jesus is asking us. They don't understand following Jesus, what that means, the cost to us, how our priorities are, 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 are changed. It's a place where they can't really say, hey, go for that. You know what? Remember what Jesus said about that? Don't be discouraged, but be encouraged because Jesus said this? They can't do that. The only people that can do that are other people who are believers. 
You know, we, we use this phrase um, in the world, uh, in the world, but not of the world, which is, I think is a paraphrase of several different scriptures. I'm not sure that I have the whole meaning of that nailed, but at least part of it is this, that we experience life like everybody else. But there's, there's an aspect of our life that, that is just different. It's otherworldly. We, we have our values are different and our perspective is different. Our worldview is different. Our future is different. It's not about what we can gain here, but it's, it's about participating with God and, and um, gaining something for the future even. So people who are not Christians, as much as we can and need to have deep relationship with them, that's an area that they can't do, uh, that they can't uh, invest in you. So, And it's only in kind of a relational setting that this can happen, in a Christian relational setting of which Connect Group is one. So Connect Groups allow us to be encouraged. Number three is... It allows us to be challenged. This is the flip side. You know, none of us likes to be challenged, do we? Nobody likes to, to have their weak points, you know, uncovered, to be challenged about our, our ideas, about what we're doing. And it's hyper so because we live in a very individualistic society. So we, we don't like it. I don't like it. I hate it, really. But the problem is, is we, we can't fully follow Jesus and be all that Jesus uh, wants for us to be without people. Gulp. We, we, can't, we can't be, you know, as the... The phrase is, you know, be all you can be. We can't be all we're supposed to be without other people challenging us in our lives. Because we just, we just mostly just want to flow along with the river, don't we? Flow along with inertia. We know things about ourselves that are, probably aren't that great. Some things we're totally oblivious to. And we certainly don't want people to talk to us about that. But it's only in in relationship that this can happen. And and one of the places it really can happen in and through is connect group. Why? Because you're known. We're going back to that first point. You come to be known. So it allows us to be challenged. You know, as a pastor, one of the things I always hated... Um, especially in my first pastor, it was that I had to stand at the door and shake people's hands on the way out. Sounds innocuous enough because most people are just nice. Uh, <laughs> someone over here has had a different experience. but uh, <laughs> Yeah, you know, people are nice or at least they want to be nice. And so, you know, they're saying nice things as they're going by. But, you know, there's always, there was always at least one or two people who just thought it was good to say everything on their mind. And that wasn't really pleasant. How to wreck your Sunday. You know, it's like, hey, I didn't like what you said. No, I totally disagree with you. I don't like your shoes. I don't like your tie. I don't like those things. 
Well, you know, how you take that is, wow, I'm doing something wrong. Right? Your experience is probably not that. But we've all had experiences where somebody that we, we, they might have been acquaintances, but we didn't really know them or trust them or love them deeply, had lots to say about our life. And it wasn't pleasant, and it wasn't actually helpful. All it did was just stab a little part of your heart out, you know? When I, when I was in that, that early church, there was an elder there who I was very close to. You know, when we came, he found a place for us to live. And when we were, we, we had bought a house eventually, and when we were about to move into that house, the people in that house said, oh, our house that's being built, it's not ready yet. Could you possibly delay? And we were, said, okay, but what are we going to do? Well, that elder and his wife took us into their house. And our family lived with them. Even my sister, who was supposed to come live with us, came and lived with them. So when he said in the course of my job, you know, you're doing an A-plus job over here. But we'd actually like you to do a B job over this part because we need you to do more over in this part. I could take that. Why? Because I knew he loved me. Because I was in relationship, deep relationship with him. It's hard to be challenged by people that you don't have relationship with. And yet we need to be challenged. You guys know the scripture. Uh, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Proverbs 27, verse 6, and then 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. You sharpen each other when you're close enough to be able to endure the sharpening process. When you're distant, it just doesn't happen. It doesn't do, it's not good for you. I remember Ben Jackson, who was the, uh, many of you know Ben, former executive director. He gave me a performance review before he left. That's why he left, actually. Uh, hope he's not listening. Um, but you know, Ben had, had been my intern before. And we'd been in small group together, and we built a deep relationship. So when we came to this point now where he's my boss, and he gives me my performance review, it's, it's fine. I say to him after it's over, what would Ben Jackson actually like to say to me? And he began to do, okay, well, there's this, this, and this. And you know what? They were great. They were incredibly insightful. Why? Because in, through starting at least in our small group together, we got to know each other. And so he was able to say some things that nobody else probably saw, And I was able to actually correct in those three places over the last number of months. He was able to say those things and I could, he was able to challenge me and I was able to take it because we were in this relationship together. You know, when you're, when you're in a small church, if you go to a small church, probably what will happen is that you'll be swept up into relationship right away. They'll know you're new, and they'll, they'll say, hi, how are you? Where are you from? Oh, what are you doing this afternoon? Would you, we're, we're having some friends over for lunch. Would you like to come for lunch? Sure, that'd be great. And, and this is the way it goes. You get swept up into relationship, and you find yourself in community. This has been my experience. It's been other people's experience in a small church. But when the church grows, when you come to a church this size, that's almost impossible because there's too many people and we don't know each other. People who sit over here on this side, 
will probably not recognize people who sit over here on this side. And people who just started coming and are in the earlier service will probably not recognize people who are here on the second service. It's just, it's just the way it is in a large church. And so one of the reasons that we, we, we keep, uh, you know, we've gone through various iterations, but we keep trying to have connect groups is because we realize the, the importance, the vital necessity that people come into relationship with one another, deep uh, connection with one another as believers. It's not enough. I mean, I'm a bit of an introvert, so I actually like coming into churches, sitting in the back, enjoying all that, and then going home. But that's actually not going to take me where I need to go in Jesus. And, and as a human being, it's not going to take me anywhere. I need the deep connections. We need the deep connections with believers that will take us the next steps. Through being known, being encouraged, and being challenged. We need, we need those things. So, why don't we just stand for a moment? And by the way, if you, if you do want to uh, join a connect group, just in the glass section back there, the Welcome Center, you can, uh, there's somebody back there that can talk to you about those things. But I want us to just, just ask God right now, Lord, what do you want to say to me about connect groups in my life? What do you want to say to me? I'll just let him speak for a few seconds here. So, Lord, I just pray for all of us to find, in whatever form, connection in this collected community, Lord, this body of believers. I ask that each of us is able to find connection. Will you lead us to the people that you have us slated to connect with, people that would love us well and encourage us and challenge us even? We lead us to the people who will invite us into their connect group. So let it be spontaneous, Lord. And Father, we love you and we want to grow in you the most that we can. Will you take us deeper, Lord? Amen. Well, guys, you're dismissed. If you would like some prayer ministry, uh, there'll be uh, one of the, some of the team up here. If you're looking for uh, some healing, specifically prayer for healing, that'll be in the chapel just around the corner here. And if you'd like prophetic, there may be some space. The prophetic team is right through the door down there to the back. At the back underneath the mezzanine in room three, there's a prophetic ministry and there's probably some space in there for you. Bless you all. Have a great Sunday. We hope you encounter God and were inspired by this message today. 
to watch video of this message and other messages from Catch the Fire in Toronto, visit catchthefire.tv. Catch the Fire has churches, schools, events, missions and media all around the world. To find out more, visit catchthefire.com.